So if you haven't already, please uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Philemon. First and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon. If you hit Hebrews, you got to go back one. Gone a little too far. So a little short letter of Philemon. Well, this morning I want you to think about Philemon from a little different perspective than perhaps you may have in the past. I want you to think of Philemon as a book that teaches us something about what, how to respond when God changes our plans, when God changes your plans. How do you respond when things are not going according to your plans and desires? Now, when, when it's better than you plan and desires, we have no problems about that. So I'm really just going to speak about when things don't go as well as we want them to go. Uh, do you complain and murmur? Or do you joyfully submit to the Lord's sovereignty in your lives, knowing that his, he is providentially directing every little thing? As R.C. Sproul has said many times, there's no maverick molecules. Really, in, God, in God's point of view, there are even no accidents. How do you respond when you're sick and you had planned to be well? How do you respond when you're in pain, but you had planned to have a nearly pain-free life? How do you respond when you lose your job, when you had planned to have a great and promising career at the company to let you go? How do you respond when you lose, lose a loved one that you had planned to spend uh, a long life together, happiness and celebrating many of the joys of life together? How do you respond when you're persecuted for, for Jesus' name or for the sake of righteousness and you had planned actually just to try to get along with people or just you were just hoping they would just leave you alone. How do you respond when someone who greatly hurts you, who has hurt you, seeks forgiveness? When you would just hope they would just go away and stay out of your life. From, from minor schedule disruptions to life-altering earthquakes and wars, the Lord is 100% sovereign all the time providentially directing everything for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's hard for us to see the good sometimes, but the word of God is very clear about these things. God is sovereign. And so this morning, as we look at, at the book of Philemon, we're going we're gonna to see some familiar things that we, you probably have heard before of from Philemon. But I, but I also want to, you to see things perhaps you haven't seen before, and that is the, the sovereignty of God working through three men's lives in particular, as we'll point out, providentially directing them in areas that, that none of them had planned. They all had other plans, and God intervened to, to work in their lives to, to bring about something very special by that redirection. So Philemon is a letter involving three men in particular whose lives were radically changed by the Lord's forgiveness and his providence. Philemon provides a model of how we are to forgive others and respond to the Lord's providential direction of our lives so that we glorify God and, and edify the body of Christ. So let's, let's dig into the details, the rich details of this beloved letter of Philemon. The short letter of Philemon begins with the typical pattern of letters from the New Testament time that we find in New Testament times. The author is named first uh, in our letters. Those of you who still write letters, that is, you put your name at the end usually. But in New Testament times, they put the, their name in the beginning. 
So we find who wrote the letter in, in the very beginning. That, that greeting is, is followed by, um, a standard greeting is, is followed by the body of the letter and then a, a closing. And although this follows a typical pattern, because this is an inspired text from God, we, we don't want to just rush over the introduction as some people do. You know, just kind of skip over it thinking, that, well, that's just standard you know, language and there's nothing rich or not much to learn in that for us. And that, that's just simply not true. So if you haven't already, turn to the letter of Philemon. And I want us to read through this letter together before we get too much farther into it. Letter of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but is now, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So what we want to do today is just kind of give you an, a big picture overview. Uh, as I mentioned already, the, in the old form of Greek letters, the author would put his name first. And so we, we very clearly know who the author of this letter is. It's Paul. It's, it's Paul the Apostle. And none other than the Apostle Paul. And yet, notice that he doesn't call himself an apostle in this text. What, what descriptions does he use of himself? He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. A prisoner. 
Paul emphasizes that fact uh, multiple times. In fact, four other times, for a total of five times, Paul either says he's a prisoner or insinuates he's a prisoner. Look at verse 9. Since I am since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Verse 10, I plead with you for my child Onesimus, of whom I became a father in my chains. Um, Philemon, verse 13, whom I, he, he's talking about Philemon, uh, Onesimus. He says, for I intended to keep whom I intended to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. And then verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. So it, there's, it's remarkable that in a, such a short letter that Paul mentions that he's a prisoner five different times. This is not by accident. For Paul to mention this status as a prisoner five times in such a short letter is significant. What is he trying to to communicate? First of all, we can know that that his imprisonment was heavy on his mind. And we'll talk about where he was imprisoned later. But he had other plans. He had big ministry plans. But at this moment, he was in prison, not free to, to go where he wished and minister where he wished. And he, and he repeated, um, I think he, he emphasizes the fact that he's a prisoner here to try to encourage the recipients of this letter to, to carry their weight or to, or to suffer alongside with him. You see, Paul had repeatedly told many of his followers, and we see this in multiple places in his letters, to follow his example. He lived a life, he wasn't perfect, but he lived a life that was above reproach, and he called others to follow his example as he followed Christ. We see this in Philippians 3.17, 1 Corinthians 4.15, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 and 9. Multiple times, directly um, and, and implicitly, he is, he is teaching people to follow his example. So I think in a sense, this is Paul's way of, of gently doing that to his uh, his recipients. He's encouraging them to follow his example because he's going to ask his recipients, in particular, he's going to ask Philemon to do something very difficult. You could say it's it, it, it's a it was a, a way where Paul was calling him to suffer alongside uh, for the, for the gospel's sake. And I think that's why Paul emphasized that so many times that that he is in prison or imprisoned or in chains. He wants Philemon to joyfully fulfill the, the task, the difficult task that he's going to ask of him. Notice also in verse 1 that Timothy is mentioned, Timothy our brother. And it's Timothy is mentioned most likely because he's with Paul while Paul wrote this letter. Some, some think that because of Paul's uh, vision problems, we suppose that he had, had vision problems that he often used as an amanuendus, that is someone to write his letters, Paul would dictate his letters. It is possible that Timothy uh, is the one who wrote the letter. Paul dictated it to him. But but if if so, at least with this letter, we see in verse 19, you see that I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. He says, I will repay it. So if if Timothy did did write this on Paul's behalf, then at least some of the letter was, in fact, written by Paul's own hand. But it's a, it's a short letter, so it's possible that Paul wrote the whole thing. Now, very few people in church history have challenged Paul's authorship of Philemon. And, and part of that's because there's no controversial doctrines here. 
but it was accepted as an authentic letter from the Apostle Paul from a very early stage. So let's look at the recipients of the letter. I mentioned Philemon already, but Philemon is the shortest of Paul's letters. And though Philemon is a personal letter in the, in the language that, it, that Paul uses, it is not a private letter to one individual. This letter was intended to benefit multiple recipients and also to benefit us since it, today since it's inspired text of the Word of God. So if you look at, at Philemon uh, in verses 1 and 2, we see four recipients of this letter. We see Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and the local church which met in the house. So who is Philemon? Philemon is listed first and as the the primary beneficiary of this letter. And he, as such, he, he becomes the main focus focal point of the letter. Uh, much of the letter is directed specifically to Philemon. And, and in part we know that because if you, if we, as we go through here, when, when Paul uses the second person, person pronoun, the word you, he uses it in a singular fashion. So although the, there's multiple recipients to this letter listed, when he gets into the body of the letter, he's actually switching Greek words and using the second person singular rather than the second person plural. And he uses the second person plural in, in the beginning. If you look at verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That's the plural you. And in English, we can't differentiate these, but the Greek does. And he also goes back to the plural at the end of the letter there in um, in verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's that's plural there. So it, it's um, and the greeting. So but much of the letter is written in the in this two uh, singular use that he's a second person singular pronoun. He's talking to Philemon. This is a letter to Philemon. So. Literally, um, Paul describes Philemon, if you look at his description, as beloved. If you look at the, I read beloved brother because that's the way the New American Standard Bible translates it. The word brother is italicized there to show that it's, it's understood, but the word isn't in there. It's literally, literally, Paul is saying, this is Philemon, our beloved. I mean, th- th- this is implying that this isn't just a, a formal relationship. Paul knew Philemon, and we, as you read later in the letter, Philemon came to faith through Paul's ministry, so that Paul helped disciple and train him. So there's a there's a strong bond between Paul and Philemon. Philemon is someone that Paul loved dearly, and look at also how how Philemon is described: our fellow worker, a fellow worker. So Philemon wasn't just uh, as well as read; he wasn't just an owner of a slave of a runaway slave called Onesimus. He was a fellow worker of the gospel, fellow worker with Paul. We, we don't know whether Philemon was more, had more of a serving gift or if he had more of a teaching gift or some kind of combination thereof. We don't know if he was a leader of the church, but we do know that the church met in his house. We'll talk about in a, in a moment. But Philemon was someone who was faithful. Paul didn't just hand out the, the description faithful worker or fellow worker to just anybody. Philemon had established himself as someone who would be faithful in carrying out the ministries that he was asked to do, either on behalf of Paul or on behalf of the local church. Um, it, we, we believe that Philemon came to faith 
through Paul's ministry in Ephesus because there's no record of Paul ever visiting Colossae. And Philemon lived in Colossae. But Colossae is not far from Ephesus. So it's very possible that, that uh, Philemon came th- to know Christ through Paul's ministry at Ephesus when he was there for uh, several years. Philemon must have been quite a mature man. Uh, we'll, we won't dig into the details, but if you look at verses 4 to 7, Paul commends him uh, quite in, a, in quite a, an encouraging way, and that, that's his intent, is to encourage Philemon in the things that he, uh, the things that he has done good and right and the way that he has benefited uh, the church. Philemon must have also been a man of financial means. Not only did he have at least one slave and probably had more than one, but he also had a house large enough for the church to meet in. In, in these times during church history, churches met in people's homes uh, because there weren't dedicated church buildings. So dedicated church buildings came along after periods of persecution. Right? So you don't, um, you don't put a church building in the middle of a community when the church is being openly persecuted because that's where people go to attack and they burn it down. So that, that just comes later in church history. So they met, met in his home. Now we'll say more about Philemon in a minute and, uh, and then later on as we dig into the text and, and future messages. Just trying to give you an overview of who Philemon is. The second recipient is Aphia, who is described as our sister. Now most commentators and pastors believe that Aphia was Philemon's wife, which seems to make a lot of sense. If, if Philemon uh, ministered to or hosted a, the church, which is in his house, then Philemon's wife would serve a critical role in showing hospitality and or- orchestrating the logistics and all of, of the church meeting, uh, the hospitality of having the church there. Paul literally describes her as the sister. So it's possible that she is only a sister in Christ and, a, and just a key member of the church who is serving there. So we don't know for sure whether or not she was um, Philemon's wife, but it certainly makes sense to see that um, to see that view. And that's about all we know about her in Scripture. But before we move on, I just wanted to make note that, that you ladies should be encouraged by Paul's mention of Aphia. You know, biblical Christianity takes note of the important contributions that women make in ministries in a local church. Uh, and and the, the sacrifices they make and their labors they make in faith, um, their labor of love for the Lord. This is a, an important contribution. And it's interesting that Paul points that out in this letter for us to take note of here uh, thousands of years uh, later. The third address he mentioned is, in the letter is Archippus. Now, following the belief that Aphia was Philemon's wife, many think Archippus was their adult son. Archippus is described as our fellow soldier. And thus he is not only part of the church, he is known by Paul as someone um, who is a spiritual warrior. We are not told anything about the ministries that Archippus did for the Lord's sake to have earned the description of our fellow soldier. But, but we can learn something by looking at how that term is used elsewhere in Scripture. So the description, our fellow soldier, is used of Epaphroditus in Ephesians 2.25. And Timothy is exhorted to be a fellow worker, a good soldier of of Jesus Christ, to suffer alongside Paul as a good soldier in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 
And thus it's reasonable to conclude that Archippus, whatever ministry he carried, was one that required suffering, one that required him uh, to go through hardship. Uh, D. Edmund Hebert explains the term fellow soldier is an expression which indicates active and self-denying service for the Lord. This morning we had a lot of hymns that emphasized as a soldier of Christ. What does it mean to be a soldier of Christ? Well, Christians don't take up physical arms. Our battle is not of flesh and blood. So what kind of battle are we engaged in? Well, to be a soldier requires active and self-denying service for the Lord. That That's what it's about. So in some capacity, Archippus was known for actively being involved in ministry and for his self-sacrifice as self-denying service for the Lord. And if we assume that Archippus of Philemon is the Archippus of Colossians 4.17, then we can conclude that Archippus had many difficult ministry assignments and he needed encouragement to fulfill it. Because in, in Colossians 4.17, Paul calls him out and says, it tells the Colossian church to encourage Archippus that, that he would fulfill the ministry that the Lord had given to him. So he was needing some some encouragement to, to fulfill whatever difficult ministry he was asked to do. He was known as a faithful man. And before moving on, especially since today is Father's Day, I think it's appropriate um, to, to really point out that, and, and ask each man here, whether you're a father or not, are, are you a, being a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Are you a fellow soldier of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to suffer hardship? as a good soldier of Jesus Christ for the gospel? Um, are you willing to, to allow the Lord to, to providentially redirect you to where the, where the battle is the hottest? You know, often we want life to be rosy and comfortable and sweet. Um, and I, I, that, those things aren't wrong. But understand that, those, that that desire is not going to be fulfilled in an ultimate sense until we get to heaven and we're with our Lord and our God. And sometimes the Lord will have you and place you providentially in a place where the spiritual fight is fierce. And he's asking you to stand fast, to stand fast for the truth and for the gospel, to be a light there. That, that's, that's when the church needs men of fortitude, not men who will run away, not men who will go hide, not men who will deny the gospel. We need men to be men who who stand up and are good soldiers, who put their armor on and who hold fast the truth of the Word of God to this lost and dying world. We need men to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. That begins in your homes and in your neighborhoods and your workplaces. If, if the sexual revolution continues to go the direction it is, then, then people you're, you're going to be found out wherever you work, even if you own your own business. And you're going to be pushed to affirm everything the world wants you to affirm regarding the sexual revolution. So you cannot hide. But God is calling you to be faithful, strong, spiritual warriors who are willing to make sacrifices for the gospel's sake. To be that kind of man who has great fortitude. When we think of, uh, of warriors, we, have, we think of physical soldiers who go do very difficult things. And, and we've seen men make great sacrifices for the cause of freedom time and time again. So you and I could be here today and have the freedom to meet here today. 
right? And while that is noble, those things are not eternal. God's giving us an opportunity to serve a much higher purpose in, in living for Christ as a good soldier. And, and when we talk about a good soldier, I'm, I'm specifically calling out men because it's Father's Day, but this includes women too, that we would be strong warriors for Jesus Christ and stand fast in the truth of God, no matter what uh, opposition we face or what kind of difficulty we face. We need to be uh, a, a people like Archippus, right? That, that's, that's something, fathers, you can pray for your sons. Pray for them to be an Archippus, right? To, to be that faithful soldier. And, and sons and daughters, pray for your fathers that they would be like Archippus, to be that faithful soldier, willing to deny himself and, and serve the Lord. Right? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of just richness as you think about that the richness to feed your soul as you think about what Archippus did and what even with just a little phrases what what God is telling us about this man and encouraging us to be and you won't be the kind of man like Archippus unless you're feeding your soul on the word of God you know sometimes because of the fall men can be lethargic men can be lazy and not study the word of God and not press forward but you will not be the spiritual warrior who wins the, these battles that we're talking about unless you're feeding yourself on the word of God and you're, you're digging deep and you're pursuing God. It's time to be done with lesser things. We don't need any more cultural Christianity men. We need men who have their armor of God on, who are fed and instructed by the word of God to take up the battle that God has called you to do in your own families, in your societies, your workplaces, wherever the Lord would direct you. Now, there's one more recipient to mention, and that is in this letter of Philemon, and that is the church that, that met in their, ho- or whole, their, their home. If, so if the, if the church met in Philemon's house, and if Aphia is Philemon's wife and Archippus his son, then they hosted the church that met in their house. And as I mentioned during this period of church history, there were not dedicated church buildings, so the churches met in in whatever homes they could meet in, typically whoever had the largest home, so the church could meet together. And the church um, would would need that meeting place in order to um, hear the word of God, pray together, and to minister to one another. And as we'll see in a moment, the church, this church that met in Philemon's home, may have very well been the church of Colossae. Paul doesn't say. But but certainly, we could say that, that Philemon uh, lived in the area of Colossae, perhaps right in Colossae. And there's lots of similarities between the letter of Philemon and the letter of Colossians. As we'll, we'll point out some of those. Because of these similarities, it seems like these letters were written about the same time. And if the Onesimus of, of Philemon is the same Onesimus mentioned in Colossians 4.9, then we have further evidence that the church was the church of Colossae, since Onesimus is described as one of the members of the church of Colossae. Um, this is these, because we don't have all the details we need, we kind of have to hold some of these details um, uh, with uh, tentatively, especially since Onesimus was a common name. Then, uh, but these things make sense as we piece the details together. So you've got you've got Paul writing to Philemon and Aphia 
Archippus and the church in their house. What is what is the what was the occasion for the letter? Why did Paul write the letter? Well, the, the occasion, as we've mentioned, as Paul has mentioned, he is in prison. So this is one of Paul's prison epistles, and the other prison epistles are Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians. Uh, what is less certain is where Paul was imprisoned. Some people would say that he was imprisoned in, in Ephesus, and that explains why he stayed in Ephesus for quite a number of years. And the problem with that theory is there's no mention of any imprisonment in Ephesus. Um, but Paul does mention in, in Acts and other places about how he was imprisoned more than one time. Right? We know that he was imprisoned in Caesarea Philippi, right? before he appealed to Caesar and was sent to Rome. And later he was, he was imprisoned in Rome. So there are those who see that Paul was imprisoned, in, who think that Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus. And they think that because of the proximity of Ephesus to Colossae. Um, the, the problem with that is that Onesimus, as, as a runaway slave, would want to get as far away as possible. But it is a far journey to Rome. It's over a thousand miles to Rome. And a runaway slave would be hunted and he would have to be very careful. It would be a very dangerous trip for a runaway slave to make. So that's why some think that Ephesus is much more likely. However, the, the traditional view is that Onesimus went to Rome and, and that Paul was arrested in, in Rome. Well, we know that he was arrested in Rome because the book of Acts mentions that. And it was during that period of time when he was in under house arrest in, in Rome that he wrote this particular letter. And I think that makes best sense of the of the, the biblical facts that we are given. It makes it makes sense that Onesimus would want to get as far away from Colossae as possible. And Rome was also a much bigger city. Rome had thousands and thousands of slaves. So it's, it's said that during this time Rome was the population of Rome was almost made up of forty percent of slaves. And, and so and, and slaves were sometimes doctors. They, there's all sorts of trade that, that slaves did. So Onesimus knew he could go and get there and get lost in the crowd. That was his plan. So if, if it's correct that that Paul that, that Paul and Ephesus, uh, sorry, Paul met Onesimus in, in Rome, then then that prison, uh, the imprisonment mentioned here in the book of Philemon is the one of Rome or and we're told there in Acts, in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, we're told that Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and is welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness unhindered. And, and if that's true, then this writ, the letter of Philemon was written somewhere around eighty sixty 60 to 62 in that time frame, along with uh, Colossians. Now, comparison of Philemon, verse 12, with Colossians 4, uh, verses 7 and 8, brings us to the conclusion that the letters of Philemon and to the Colossian church were written about the same time and period. So that's why we, we think they are written together. So um, both of them were sent out by the hand of Tychicus, which, are, which is mentioned, and uh, both mentioned that Onesimus is, uh, uh, is accompanying Tychicus. Right? Really, Tychicus is accompanying Onesimus. So the, the reason that Tychicus is there is probably to safely escort Onesimus all the way back uh, to Colossae. 
Now, what, what prompted Paul to write this letter of Philemon? Well, we read through it. We could see that the obvious reasons. Paul is writing in order to plead a case with Philemon, to, to go before, on behalf of Onesimus, to go to Philemon and ask him to receive, uh, receive Onesimus back into his home. Um, Onesimus, as we'll talk about more later, Onesimus thought he was going to get lost in the crowd, but somehow somebody brought him to Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's under house arrest. Onesimus hears the gospel and is, and is saved. And uh, verses 18 and 19 of Philemon, if you look at that, uh, verses 18 and 19 show us that Paul wrote to to um, stand before, to go before Philemon on, on behalf of Onesimus to pay back whatever Onesimus owed Philemon. So it, 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 it seems, when, he, when Paul says there, he says, uh, if he is wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Most people believe that, that that is an indication that Philemon, when he ran away, he stole from Philemon. So, Again, that's 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 a, a, a interpretation, but it makes sense because if you're going to run away, you're going to need some cash. Well, why would you need cash? Why would you need something? Well, you're going to need food. If you're making a thousand mile journey, you're going to need a way to buy food. You're going to need to, a way to pay for transportation, whether that's riding on a wagon at, at times or to even taking a ship, buying voyage uh, to to go to Rome. And you might even need some money to help bribe slave catchers. If any happen upon you, you want to be able to bribe them to kind of look the other way and, and let you go. So, again, these are, this is the, these are things that my conjecture, Scripture doesn't say these things, but it makes sense that Philemon would have, uh, sorry, that Onesimus would have stolen from Philemon uh, when he ran away. And so... Paul was writing on behalf of Onesimus to kind of bring bring um, Philemon and Onesimus back together, and in fact, if in in doing so, if Philemon insisted on restitution being made, then Paul says that he would pay that. He says, "Charge that to my account. I'll, I'll pay it. I'll pay it on behalf of Onesimus." Onesimus would not be able to do that. Now, think think just a moment about what prompted Paul to send Onesimus back to Philemon. And why would Onesimus agree to go back? I mean, after all, under Roman law, Philemon could punish Onesimus in any way that he chose, even up to including death. So Onesimus was, on a human perspective, was taking a risk, a great risk in going back to Philemon. And and why would Paul um, agree to this? You know, Christians today would be appalled, like, no, Paul. You know, don't don't do this. He's 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 a slave. But if you go, if you, if he stays with you, he could be free. If you send him back, this potentially be a slave the rest of his life. Where is where is Paul's social justice in sending Onesimus back? Well, Paul is not so concerned with social justice as he is with true justice and seeing the Lord glorified. It's kind of interesting that we don't know the circumstances. We do know that Onesimus became a believer in Jesus Christ. He was born again through the faithful witness and ministry of Paul. And he could have been there for several years. In fact, he probably was there for several years. And Paul didn't send them back initially. 
when Paul saw him come to faith, he knew he needed to be discipled and trained. So again, we're not given any any kind of um, timing, but we do know from the book of Philemon that 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 Onesimus was stayed long enough in Rome to be a great ministry and a help to the apostle Paul in his chain. So uh, under house arrest, Paul was allowed to receive guests. He wasn't allowed to go anywhere, but he was allowed to receive guests. They could bring him food. They can they can minister him. And no doubt they also brought some of his followers, brought unbelievers to Paul to hear the gospel. And that is how Onesimus eventually ended up hearing the gospel. And in God's timing, when Onesimus was prepared, uh, you could say spiritually mature enough to handle the test of faith of going back to Philemon, then then that's when Paul uh, sent him back along with Tychicus, another faithful co-worker, to help ensure Onesimus made it safely back to um, to Philemon and Colossae. Now, the, the, the occasion of, of a letter of Philemon is basically that Paul's going to bat, he is interceding for Onesimus um, on behalf, uh, to Philemon. Let's think about the, the theme of the letter. And, and often when you think about Philemon, what word, what word comes to mind? Right? Idea, forgiveness. So if you were to look at, at do it, look in a Bible dictionary or um, one of those Bible books that gives you summaries of, of books, it's often the, the theme idea of Philippians is often forgiveness. And, and that's, that's right. Um, if you were to do a survey of various sermon titles from messages preached on the book of, of Philemon, you would often see forgiveness mentioned in those titles. So the book's association with forgiveness is, in my opinion, is, is similar to the book of Esther's association with God's providence. That is, forgiveness is nowhere, the word forgiveness is nowhere used in Philemon. You can, you can search, it's a short letter, read it yourself. The word forgiveness isn't there, and yet the dominating thought is what? Forgiveness. Well, so too with the book of Esther. If you're familiar with the book of Esther, God is nowhere mentioned in the book of Esther. But if you read the book of Esther, you come away with, wow, God's totally sovereign and controlling all these events in our lives. In, in, in the Jews' lives at the time. So the book of Philemon is a bit, bit like that. It is about forgiveness without using the word forgiveness. But I'd like, you to, I'd like to push this a little, just a little bit. It's, it's, it is about forgiveness, but we often associate forgiveness with, with a, um, like a, a smaller version of forgiveness than God does. Right? We tend to make or reduce Forgiveness to something humanly achievable. And what I want us to see is that forgiveness is, is in God's way of forgiving, is magnanimous. It's huge. It, it doesn't just restore you to like a, your previous position before the forgiveness. Forgiveness actually brings you closer in intimacy and love with the person that you offended. Um. I think our understanding of forgiveness doesn't do justice to the message that the Holy Spirit is sending us through the book of Philemon. What Paul asked Philemon to do is not merely forgive. Paul was, is not asking or was not asking Philemon to simply receive Onesimus back as a slave. He was doing what? He was asking, Onis, he's asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a beloved brother. 
No longer as a slave. And in fact, what Paul would do is he would say, in fact, Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus in the same way that you would receive me. Now remember what language Paul used of, of Philemon. He's a beloved brother. Paul and Philemon loved each other dearly. So what Paul is asking Philemon to do is to forgive, yes. But forgive and embrace this man who had, had offended, had, had broken Roman law and, and had stolen, likely stolen from Philemon. He's asking Philemon to make that man like, like a family member. Bring him into the household. Love on him as you would love me. That's what Paul is saying. Now, there's no way that Philemon can do this if he is living in his own strength and if his mind is set on earthly things. If his mind is set on earthly things, he would not respond positively to this. He, he would decry Paul's injustice of the request. But, but Paul expresses great confidence that Philemon will do the very things that he requests. And, he, and because of this confidence, we know that Philemon did obey. You see, Philemon, as a co-worker, a co-laborer of Paul, wasn't, he didn't have his mind set on earthly things. He had his mind set on a heavenly kingdom, on pursuing what is best for the kingdom of God and what would result in the greatest glory to God. Philemon knows the blessing of obedience and he won't hesitate to do as requested. Paul has confidence in Philemon to do the right thing. And Paul says in his letter, he doesn't need to command. He could command he has the authority to command Philemon to do it, but he's not. He's, a, he's appealing to Philemon on the behalf of, of love. If that kind of storyline sounds a little bit familiar, it's because it is. In, in a sense, the book of Philemon gives us a living illustration of the gospel. Does it not? We've offended God. We have stolen from him, not literally money, but we have stolen the, the worship that we owe him, the obedience we owe him. We've greatly offended him. We've run away from God before coming to know Christ. We, we run away from him. So we're like Onesimus, spiritually. And then comes along Jesus Christ to, to intercede on our behalf, to live a perfect, become a man, to live a perfect life, to, to die the death which we deserve to die on the cross, to be buried in the grave and be raised three days later and, and then to call those who were formerly enemies to make them children of God. So Jesus, the great intercessor, Paul is simply mimicking something he had experienced. He is interceding on behalf of Onesimus in the same way that Jesus Christ intercedes on behalf of sinners. And then... You could say that, that Philemon is, a, is an example of, of what God did. You know, why did Philemon not hesitate to, to forgive Onesimus and warmly welcome him into his family as he would Paul? The reason is, is because he's been, he's been transformed by God's grace. Completely transformed. He had experienced, so he knew that. What a wonderful book this is. Now, some have said the book has a major problem. The major problem is that 
Paul doesn't denounce slavery. And it's true, he does not. Some have looked to Philemon as, as a book to support slavery. They're saying, well, Paul doesn't denounce it, so therefore he supports it. Some would say, well, it, there's a problem. You know, if, if you take it to its logical conclusion, then, then Onesimus and Philemon are like brothers and that therefore underrodes the, mere, the foundation of slavery. And, and that's true. What, what we need to see is that Scripture nowhere goes after the institution of slavery, but it nowhere endorses it either. It is a social construct. It is a societal construct. And the Bible doesn't go directly after it. It goes, it undermines the foundation of slavery. Because if, if, you, if you look at the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament and sometimes the New Testament provide instructions on how Christians who are slaves or Christians who are masters are to live. So the, the command was, wasn't don't have slaves. The command was, if you have slaves, treat them gently. Treat them lovingly. In fact, you're to treat them as a brother in Christ. And, and the, same, the, the same way the instructions were given to, to slaves to treat their masters, to serve their masters as if they were serving the Lord. We see that in Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 9, and Colossians 3, verses 22 and, and, and through, verse, uh, through chat, first part of chapter 4. Why am I bringing this up? Because Philemon isn't a book you would go to to, like, um, to show that, that slavery should be um, eliminated. And it's not a book you would go to to show support for slavery. Right? The, the scripture is very clear that God has made all people in his image. But God doesn't go after the mere social constructs. He goes after the heart of it. Right? And it's the heart that needs to be changed. And just like today as we're dealing with uh, abortion and abortion rights, and we're praying for Roe versus Wade to be overturned because it's bad law. But at the same token, we know that we have to pray for hearts to be changed. If people, if people's hearts aren't changed, no matter what the law is, they'll still they'll still kill their children. They'll just look for illegal ways to do that. So the Bible goes after slavery indirectly through changing the heart. But the point of the point of the book of Philemon isn't to you know, try to rid the New Testament world of slavery. It, it's to give us a, a living illustration of what the gospel does and how the gospel changes lives. Now, now think about that. I want to I go back to where I kind of started. Think about the big picture of this letter. We're doing an introduction. We're not doing a deep dive. But Philemon gives us an example of Lives radically changed by God's forgiveness and God's providence. God's forgiveness and God's providence. Just think about how lives radically changed by the Lord's forgiveness. Think about the Apostle Paul. All you know about him, he was, he was a very religious man, but uh, warring against the church and against God. Christ confronts him on the road to Damascus, changes his life, changes his whole life direction so before he was persecuting the church, now he is a leader within the church and teaching the church. So Paul knew how to intercede for Onesimus because he knew something personally of how Jesus interceded on his own behalf. Then you have Philemon. Philemon was radically changed by experiencing God's forgiveness. Um, as, as Philemon became a, a born-again believer through Paul's ministry, then 
Philemon would have known um, something of forgiveness, of that relief of sin taken away from his life. And so Philemon would have known how to forgive Onesimus because he, he himself had experienced the forgiveness of God. In fact, the connection between your own forgiveness and forgiving others is so strong that that um, scriptures would, would, would say that if you're not forgiving of others, you yourself probably have not experienced forgiveness. So Philemon's life was radically changed by the Lord's forgiveness. And then you have Onesimus. You, you have him coming to know Christ through the ministry of Paul in Rome. And, and at some point, Onesimus would have to confess his past sins and, and um, in order to seek to make right the wrongs that he had done. And he was willing to, to entrust his life into God's hands as he went back uh, to Philemon to try to make things right. He, he accepted and trusted in Paul's advocacy before Philemon, much the way, same way that Philemon accepted and trusted, um, sorry, that Onesimus accepted and trusted in Jesus' advocacy before the Father. So these three men, their lives were radically changed by the Father's, by the Lord's, God's forgiveness. And we see their lives radically changed by the Lord's providence. And I mentioned this at the beginning, but I just want to point out these things. Paul had his life redirected constantly, it seems like. There were times where he wanted to go a certain direction and the Holy Spirit didn't permit him to go there. There were times where he wanted to go and the Holy Spirit prompted him to go. There was the Macedonian call where, where God sends a, a, a messenger through a, through a dream to call Paul to go to a certain place. The Lord is providentially directing his life, but at this time he's in prison. That, that wasn't in Paul's plans. Paul had plans to, to go to Macedonia and he went there, but he also had plans to go to Spain. He wanted, he wanted to go where Christ had not been preached. And here he was in prison. Think he was mad at Rome? Think he was mad at Caesar? Think he was grumbling and complaining? He was not. I'm not saying he wasn't tempted to do that, but he did not. Look at the first part of Philemon. What does he do? He calls himself what? Paul, a prisoner of Rome? Paul, prisoner of Caesar? What does he say? Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus. Right? That's evidence that Paul recognizes he is exactly where God wants him to be. It's no accident. It's no mistake. Did Paul want to get out of prison? I'm sure he did. But he recognized the Lord's sovereignty, sovereignly redirecting him. And we don't know all the benefits that, that came about because of Paul being in ministry. We know there were there were letters that were written, and that's a benefit to us, but some would say, well, he could write that. He could have written those outside of prison, and that's true. But we do know that Onesimus came to saving faith through Paul's prison ministry. And there are probably many, many others that did as well. The whole Praetorian Guard uh, heard the gospel because of Paul's prison ministry. And these are just some of the ways that we can see God working. We don't know them all. So God radically uh, changed Paul's life by providentially redirecting him. Now th think about Philemon. Philemon's life was, was radically changed by God's providence. Uh, we don't know the details of how Philemon heard the gospel, but he heard the gospel through Paul. Paul says that in his letter. He reminds Philemon of that. 
I, I just want you to think about how God providentially directed Philemon to forgive Onesimus. That was not on Ones- that was not on Philemon's radar. That was not in his plans. Right? Onesimus had left, and maybe several years had passed. In all likelihood, maybe four or five years had passed. Right? Philemon had gotten over that. Philemon was a godly man. Philemon was not bitter about what happened, and he would just be content to let everything go in the past. Let it be gone. But God is redirecting his life to do something very difficult: to forgive a runaway slave who had stolen from him and make that slave a brother, to see him as a brother and to love on him like he would love on Paul. That's not easy. That would have been very hard. And then you have Onesimus. Onesimus travels a thousand miles to Rome to get away from his master. He's hoping just to get lost in the sea of of slaves that are there. And then, just like God picking a a needle out of a haystack, he brings Onesimus, providentially, we don't know how, brings Onesimus to Paul, who's in prison in this house. It's not like Paul could do street preaching. And then, as Onesimus grows, and as they're sharing, we don't know the details, but just kind of like fill in some of the blank space. I mean, Paul is, is, is discipling Onesimus, and he says, Onesimus, tell me about your past. Well, Paul, I had to confess, I, I was a runaway slave, or I am a runaway slave, and, and I stole from my master. And Paul begins digging and probing like a good counselor. Well, well where'd you run away from? Well, from, from Colossae. And he probes a little bit further. Well, who, who's your master? Ah, oh, this is this guy named Philemon. Paul says, Philemon, my beloved. Can you imagine Onesimus' face when he found out that Paul knew his master as a close associate in ministry? His jaw dropped, I'm sure. But it's no accident. Onesimus recognized that. And said, you know what? I see this as the hand of God. I know I'm taking a human risk by going back to my earthly master. But I know that Paul will intercede on my behalf. And he says, if you will intercede for me, Paul, I will go back. And I will make things right. No matter what the risk is. And I just want you to think about the amazing way that God works providentially. Even in our lives today. So when you read the book of Philemon, as we study the details, keep the bigger picture in mind that God is 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 using his his the gospel and the power of his spirit, his word to radically change your life. You've if you're in Christ, you've experienced his forgiveness. And and know that the Lord will is going to redirect you providentially. And there's going to be some good times. We talk about the more difficult times like changes in our plans, because those are the ones we struggle with. When things turn out better than we planned, we don't really struggle with that. We just can give God thanks. And you know what? If you take stock of the ones that turn out better than you planned, there's more of those than that happen than you think. We just kind of take them for granted, unfortunately. But but as you as you work through life, as you get you're in a hurry and you get stopped at a at a red light. 
understand that's, that's God's providence. It's like living life as a soldier of Jesus Christ is lived one moment at a time, making one right decision at a time, trusting God with all the results. Right? Trust His providence. Do what is right. Trust Him to work out the details for your good and His glory, no matter what. Let Philemon encourage you to forgive and encourage you to trust God's sovereignty over all so that you joyfully concur with God's amazing providence over every detail of your life. And what he did for Philemon and Onesimus and Paul is what he does for all of his children. He providentially directs every detail of our lives. And he is worthy of our trust. So as you look to the book of Philemon, remember that. Remember the Lord, how he's changed you uh, radically by forgiving you. And he's going to bring people into your life that you're going to have to forgive because you live with sinners in your own family or you work with sinners and you're going to have to forgive them and that's not going to be easy. But look to Philemon to, for help for that and encouragement in that. Well, let's pray. Our Lord, we uh, thank you for giving us this time in your word and I just ask that you would um, allow Philemon to encourage us um, to do what is right, to trust your providence, to not buck against providence, uh, but to just trust your sovereign control over all things. Lord, as we study this book, we just ask that you would uh, just drive it home in our lives. Allow us to contemplate these things, to see how you worked in Paul's life and Philemon's life and Onesimus' life for your glory and uh, for their good. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.